إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد we now reached hadith number 14. Hadith number 14. وعن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا وقع الذباب في شراب في شراب أحدكم فليغمسه ثم لينزعه فإن في أحد جناحيه داء وفي الآخر شفاء أخرج البخاري وأبو داود وزاد وَإِنَّهُ يَتَّقِي بِجَنَاحِهِ الَّذِي فِيهِ الدَّاءِ And the next hadith also وعن أبي واقد الليفي رضي الله عنه قال قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ما قطع من البهيمة وهي حية فهو ميت أخرجه أبو داود والترمذي وحسنه ولفظ له In this first hadith now the hadith of Abu Hurairah he said that the Prophet ﷺ said, If a fly falls into a drink, you have a cup or some other utensil that you have some drink inside it. If a fly comes and falls into that drink, then the Prophet ﷺ said, Fal yagmishu. Then dip the whole fly in. If the fly comes and just dips itself or sits on the water or something or comes into the water, then what you should do is dip the whole fly into the drink. ثُمَّ لِيَنْزَعْهُ Then you take it out. فَإِنَّ فِي أَحَدِ جَنَاحِيهِ وَفِي الْآخِرِ شَفَاءِ Because in one of its two wings is an illness and in the other wing is a cure. This hadith now, the Shaykh says, Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, Hafizahu Allah Ta'ala, هذا الحديث فيه عجائب من سنع الله تعالى. وفيه أحكام شرعية أيضا. In this hadith, we will see some of the amazing things from the creation of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. This hadith will show you some of the amazing things from amongst the amazing things of the creation of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, as well as some of the Sharia rulings and regulations with regards to this issue. So it says now that if a fly, if a fly was to fall into the drink, if a fly was to come into the drink, and a fly is something which is known, the small uh, fly. Everybody knows what a fly is. And the Shaykh mentioned it is something which is popular everywhere. It comes amongst the people in their rooms, in their homes. The flies are everywhere. And in fact, this fly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned it in the Qur'an and given examples of the fly in the Qur'an. Made parables of the fly in the Qur'an. Because the fly, we consider it to be something very small, something very weak, something very insubstantial, something of no importance. We think the fly to be something very small and something degraded, something which doesn't have any type of honor or rank or anything, just a small little animal that you don't give any attention to. 
But rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used that then as an example in the Qur'an. So Allah said about the mushrikeen, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ لَنْ يَخْلُقُوا ذُبَابًا وَلَوْ اجْتَمَعُوا لَهِ That those whom you worship besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, saying to the mushrikeen, that those people who you worship besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if they were to all come together, they wouldn't even be able to create a fly. All of these other idols and all of these graves that they go to and all of these other places, all of these different things that they worship besides Allah, if they were to all come together, all of them together would still not be able to even create a fly. Forget about anything big in creation, not even the smallest of things, the fly they would be able to create. Similarly, Allah says in the same ayah, وَإِن يَسْلُبْهُمُ الذُّبَابَ شَيْئًا لَا يَسْتَنْقِذُونَهُ أَوْ لَا يَسْتَنْقِذُوهُ مِنْهُ And if this fly was to come to one of these idols and to take something from it, then those idols would not be able to retrieve those things. They would not be able to get it back. Meaning these idols of theirs that they worship besides Allah, they have no power whatsoever. Even a fly can come and sit on their nose and sit on their head. And it can do what it wants and those idols are not able to prevent it whatsoever. That shows the weakness of those idols. It shows that they are not worthy of worship whatsoever. That they cannot even have any control over a fly that comes and sits on them and sits on them and does this and does that. They don't have any power whatsoever. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave this example in the Quran. That the fly, such a small thing, minute, you can squash it and it's dead. Such a small little thing. But despite it being so small and weak, the idols that they worship besides Allah, they have no power over it. A fly can come and sit upon them, it can come and take something from them. Maybe the people, they come and put food at the idols. The fly comes and eats the food and goes, and the idol cannot prevent it. So if the fly was to come and take something, they wouldn't be able to get it back. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned this as an example in the Quran, to nullify and to falsify the worship of these other deities. That these are the deities, they cannot even, they cannot even take care of a fly, let alone anything else. So there are two parts of the ayah together. They indicate the falseness of worshipping others besides Allah, because all of these others, if they all came together, they wouldn't even be able to create a fly. Yes, the shaykh says, these people, they try. They try to make pictures and they try to make robots that can move like a fly and other things. They try to make all of these other things but they cannot in reality make the creation of a fly. The meat and the wings and it flies by itself and it looks and it sees and it smells. They cannot make that creation even the size of a fly, let alone anything else. So they attempt, they attempt to try to equal Allah in His creation. They try to make these pictures and photographs and models and robots and whatever else. But the real fly, the creation of Allah with the blood in it and the wings and the body, they're not going to be able to do that whatsoever. So that shows the weakness of these other individuals and what they are upon. And it shows the weakness of the idols that they are worshipping, that they have no right to be worshipped whatsoever. So this is the example that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave in the Qur'an, used the example of a fly to demonstrate the falseness of the worship of those other deities that they are worshipping. So then, in the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says, إِذَا وَقَعَ الذُّبَابُ فِي شَرَابِ أَحَدِكُمْ If a fly falls into the drink, if the fly falls into a drink, 
you have some drink in a cup or in a bowl or in some other utensil, some drink, whatever it might be, water, juice, tea, any type of drink, and a fly comes and falls into that drink, then what do you do? The Prophet ﷺ said, فَلْيَغْمِسْهُ That if that happens, don't just take the fly and throw it away and pour the drink away. Don't do that. The Prophet ﷺ said, if the fly comes and sits in there or falls in there, then dip it all into the drink. The whole fly, dip it right into the drink. That's what he says, فَلْيَغْمِسُهُ This hadith is authentic. Authentic hadith from the Prophet ﷺ. فَلْيَغْمِسْهُ So he should dip it right into the drink to the extent that the fly disappears in the drink. Right into the drink. Right into the drink. So you push the fly into it, dip it into the drink, so that the fly it disappears into the drink. So this now, the shaykh says, وَهَذَا أَمْرٌ مِنَ الرَّسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم بِغَمْسِ الذُّبَابِ إِذَا وَقْعَ فِيهِ وَيَنْبَغِي لِلْمَرْءَ أَنْ يَأْخُذَ احْتِيَاطَتُهُ لِمَنْعِ الذُّبَابِ مِنْ أَنْ يَقْعَ فِي شَرَابِهِ وَطَعَمِهِ the shaykh says, no doubt that a person should be careful so that a fly doesn't end up falling into his food and his drink. And that's why the people should cover up their utensils, not leave a drink lying around open, you should cover it up with something. Not leave food lying around open, you should cover it up with something. So the shaykh says a person should try to be careful not to leave food and water exposed anyway so that flies do end up falling into it. You should try to be careful in the first place. But if it does happen... Then the ruling the Prophet ﷺ mentioned here is that the person should dip the fly right into the drink. Because this is actually a cure. How? That's what the next part of the hadith explains. Then the Prophet ﷺ explained the wisdom. Why did he say that if a fly falls into a drink, then dip it all in? Most people now, if you ask them, they'll say, get the fly out and throw the drink away. But the Prophet ﷺ said, no, dip the fly right in. فَإِنَّ فِي أَحَدِ جَنَاحَيْهِ دَاءً Because indeed, in one of the two wings of the fly, there is an illness, there is a disease, there is a type of poison, a type of disease in one of its wings. وَفِي الْآخَرِ شِفَاءً And in the other wing is a cure. So the fly, its two wings on one side, the Prophet ﷺ has told us there is an illness or a disease on one side of one wing. And on the other side, there is a cure. So there is an illness and there is a cure. وَفِي الْآخِرِ شِفَاءِ يَعْنِي مُضَادًا لِهَذَا In the other wing, there is a cure which nullifies and it cures the poison or the illness in the other wing. So they balance each other out. One is an illness, but one is a cure. لِأَنَّ اللَّهَ خَلَقَ فِي جَنَاحِي الضُّبَابِ هَاتَيْنَ الْمَادَتَيْنَ لِحِكْمَةٍ إِلَهِيَةٍ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the fly in this way, that in one wing it has an illness, a disease, and in the other wing it has a cure. فَهَذَا الْمَخْلُوقَ الضَّعِيفِ So this very weak creation, this fly, this very weak creation, فِي أَحَدْ جَنَاحِهِ دَاءٍ In one of its wings is an illness. يعني سُمَّنْ يَذُرُّ النَّاسِ Meaning, it's a type of disease or poison that will harm the people. وَفِي الْآخِرِ شِفَاءً And in the other one, there is a cure that can nullify that disease and that poison. فَمِنْ أَجْلِ ذَلِكَ أَمَرَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ بِغَمْسِهِ كُلِّهِ So because of that, 
The Prophet said, dip the whole fly into the drink. Because when the fly comes, and it dips into the drink, then it will dip in with its wing, which is the poisonous one, the illness one, the one with the disease in it. As the other narration stated, the narration of uh, Abu Dawood, where he said, وَإِنَّهُ يَتَّقِي بِجْنَاحِهِ الَّذِي فِيهِ That if the fly is in trouble, if the fly is in trouble, the fly finds itself in distress, then it will try to protect itself as a protection mechanism with its wing that has the protection in it, the poison or the disease to try to save itself. So it will go with that wing. That's what's mentioned in that narration. This is from the miracles of the Prophet ﷺ to be telling us this type of detail of the fly and what it does. So that's why if it goes in with that wing that has the disease in it, in order to nullify that and to balance it out and to get rid of the disease, you need to dip in the other side of the fly also. So when the whole fly goes into the drink, yes, the evil, uh, the poisonous or the disease from the one side of the wing will go in, but then the cure will be in there also. And that will therefore balance it out and there will be no more uh, disease left in that drink. Everybody understand that? It's clear. One side is illness, one side is cure. So if the fly falls in, then dip the whole fly in there to make sure that you've balanced out the disease. If there was disease gone in there, then dip the other side in so the cure's gone in there as well and it's made it equal. Then the Shaykh says, Hada, uh, If you do that then, if the fly comes and you have a bowl of water or a cup of water or some other utensil of some drink in it and the fly comes there and you dip the whole fly in there and then you get it out and get rid of it. Once you've dipped the whole fly in there, then you take it out and get rid of it. Then that water, what's the ruling on it? Can you use that water now or not? Can you drink it or not? You can drink it. Can you make wudu with it or not? Can you make wudu with it or not? If it was a bowl of water and a fly came and you dip the fly in, the cure and the disease have balanced themselves out now. Get rid of the fly. Can you use that water for wudu and ghusl? Correct. That's the reason why this hadith is here. We're in the chapter of purification. This is one of the links to the chapter of purification. Imagine you have some water now and some animal like a fly comes into it. Is that water impure or pure? So here now the shaykh is explaining that if you dip the whole fly in there, as the hadith mentions, then that water is it's equal now. The disease and the cure, they balance each other out, take the fly out and you can use the water. Drink it, make wudu with it, do whatever else you need to do with that water. It's permissible to use. هذا ما أرشد إليه النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في هذا الحديث. This is what the Prophet ﷺ has guided us to do, has taught us to do in this hadith. That if a fly falls in, then dip the whole fly in, then take it out and use the water. وَهُوَ حَدِيثٌ صَحِيحٌ لَا شَكَّ فِي صِحَّتِهِ And it is an authentic hadith where there is no doubt about its authenticity. Why does the Shaykh mention that? Firstly, because the hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari anyway. The hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari. Authentic, there's no doubt about it. But the Shaykh mentions that because there are some of these so-called uh, intellectuals, some of these people who believe they are Islamic scholars, and in reality they are not. Sometimes you see them wearing suits and you see them with no beards or nothing, and they say, we are Islamic scholars. And they come along and they say that this hadith, it's weak. They say, what do you mean? How can that possibly make sense? If the fly falls in, Get rid of it and get rid of the water. That's what you have to do. 
They say, how can you possibly dip the whole fly in there? The fly, how dirty it is and how many germs it has. You're going to dip the whole fly in there, then get rid of it and then drink the water. They say, this can't be right. This hadith is wrong, it is false. So they try to refute this hadith and say that it is not authentic. And they try to refute the narrations of Abu Huraira with regards to this hadith, etc. But the reality is, as the Shaykh said, that this hadith, it is authentic. And there are some individuals, the Shaykh mentions one person from, um, from one of the people of Egypt, so-called scholars of Egypt, Abu Rayya, I think his name is. The Shaykh mentioned, Shaykh Fawzan, that this individual began to say this hadith is weak and it is not authentic. And the hadith is the narration of Abu Huraira. It is in Sahih al-Bukhari. There is no doubt that the hadith is authentic. But because these people, they've been affected by the Western way of thinking. The Western people, they say to you, Ah, oh, the fly, dirty germs. If it falls in your drink, get rid of it, pour it out, wash it all out. That's what they learn from these people and so that's what they want to implement. They think their intellects are better than the texts. And the principle of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah the Salafiyun, upon the methodology of the Salaf, is taqdeemun naqal ala al-aqal. Not the other way around. Not taqdeemul aqal ala al-naqal. The people of innovation, Ahl al-Bid'ah, they say our intellects, our minds, our intelligence is better than the Qur'an and the Sunnah, these ahadith. They say these ahadith, if there is something in there which we can't understand, and it doesn't make sense, we're going to leave it. So this hadith, they said, it doesn't make sense. What do you mean dip the fly in there? It doesn't make sense. So they said, this is weak, we're not going to do it. But Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, then they say, no. The methodology is, the methodology of the Salaf, if the text it comes to you, the Qur'an, the Sunnah, and it is authentic, then you have to do it, and you have to believe in it, even if your mind can't understand it. And there are many examples of that. We've done this before. There are many types of worship that we don't understand the reasoning behind it. But even if you don't understand the reasoning behind some worship, you still do it if it is authentic and it is proven. If the evidence is there for it, then you must do it. You have to act upon it. Remember we gave the example of wudu once before. Wudu, what's the reason for wudu? Is it something you can understand or not? What's the reason for wudu? To purify. So the reason for wudu is to purify. To make yourself clean for the prayer. But then, is that the only reason for wudu? Are there other reasons that maybe we don't understand? Could it be said that this is an act of worship that we do just purely because we've been told to do it? There are certain types of worship they call ibadat mahda, pure worship. You do it for the sake of the worship itself, even though we might not understand the reason why. We've been told to do this worship in this particular manner. The wudu is actually one of them. Al-Imam Shafi'i, Al-Imam Ahmad, and Al-Imam Malik, all of them are in agreement that the wudu is a type of worship which is ibadah mahda. Yani it's a type of worship, غير معقولة المعنى. We don't understand the reason why we've been told to do wudu in the manner we've been told to do it. What does that mean? That we don't understand the reason why we have to do wudu in the manner we've been told to do wudu. For example, we've done this before I'm sure. A person, he makes wudu. He sits down on the, on the seats and he makes wudu. Everything. Washes everything, washes his feet. Just as he's going to get up from the stool, from the chair, to move away, everything is still wet. He hasn't even got to the towel to dry himself yet. He's just getting up, just closes the tap to get up and he breaks wind. 
Now what does he have to do? He has to what? He has to do wudu again. But why? He's just done it. He's just cleaned everything. The water is still on his body everywhere, on his face, his hands, his feet. The water is still dripping off. Is he not clean? So, okay, he has to do it again then. He has to do wudu again. He does wudu all again. But he broke wind. Breaking wind, what's that got to do with wiping your head? If you break wind, does your head get impure? If you break wind, does your face become impure? Your hands, your feet. So why does he have to wash his face and his hands and his feet and wipe his head again? Wudu is broken. But, doesn't that indicate that therefore the purpose of wudu isn't just purification? Because if it was just about purification, when he breaks wind, the ruling would have been that he has to go do istinja again. He has to go to uh, clean his private area. That's where the wind broke from. Why is the ruling not that when somebody breaks wind, their wudu breaks? But why does he not say they have to go and clean their private area first too? That's why the wind was broken. Why does he have to wipe his head? What's that got to do with breaking wind? So the scholars, they said that the wudu is not an act of worship which is just purely for purification. Yes, no doubt, you clean yourself to a degree. But even with that, even with purification, then what if somebody says, why have we not been commanded to wash uh, the top part of the arm as well? Or why have we not been commanded to wash all of the shin up to the knees as well then? Why only up to the ankle? Why only up to the elbows? Or these parts don't get dirty? So it's not just about purification. Wudu is a type of worship, we do it for the sake of doing it because that's how we've been taught to do it. Does everybody understand the example of the breaking wind? If you break wind, then you have to make wudu again. But that isn't really about purification. If it was about purification, then all you would have to do is clean your private area where the wind broke. Nothing else has become impure because of it. So the fact that you still have to wash all of the other body parts, and you don't even have to touch the area where the wind broke, indicates that wudu is an act of worship in of itself. Not just because of purification. But that's one example. But here now, uh, with this now, this is an act, or these other types of acts, we do them because we've been told to do them in the Quran and the Sunnah. You follow it as it is. Not a people of innovation. And many of the people now, they want to interpret the Quran and the Sunnah with their own understanding. What suits them. And if it doesn't suit them, then they won't accept that and they won't implement that. And we already know, we mentioned as well before the narration of Ali ibn Abi Talib. He said, لَوْ كَانَ الدِّينُ بِالرَّأِي If this religion was based upon intellect, then what did he say? لَكَانَ الْمَسْحُ عَلَى بَاطِنِ الْخُفْ أَوْلَى مِنْ ظَاهِرِهِ That if the religion was based upon intellect and intelligence, then when you wipe over the socks, when you make wudu and you put your socks on, then afterwards, if you break wudu, you can wipe over your socks. Ali ibn Abi Talib said, if the religion was based upon intellect, intelligence, then we would have said that you should wipe on the bottom side of the socks. That's the bit where you walk on, that's where the dust gets onto. You should wipe on the bottom sides of the khuf, the leather socks or the normal socks. Why do we wipe on the top side then? Does the dust go on the top side or the bottom side? The bottom side. But why do we wipe on the top side? Why? The dust goes on the bottom side, why do we wipe on the top side? Because that's the commandment. That's what we've been told to do in the Quran and the Sunnah, so that's what we do. We don't use our intelligence and say, actually, you know, the Quran and the Sunnah says wipe on the top side, but I know that the dust is on the bottom side, so I'm going to wipe the bottom side. Wrong. 
your action will be rejected. The action will not be correct. So here now with this same hadith, this is a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ and this is what we've been told to do. But the people who have been affected by Western thinking and they've been affected by other types of scientists and whatever else, and they say, no, no, the fly, dirty germs. If it falls, get rid of it, clean the cup, even throw the cup away, some of them. But this is the reality of the Qur'an, the sunnah, and this is what we've been taught to do. And that is uh, something which is correct, and it is something which is authentic. So what are the benefits from this hadith then? Firstly, we benefit from this hadith, the legislation to dip the fly into the drink completely, if it falls into your drink, in order to remove the illness or the disease and to balance it out. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the Shaykh says, in this hadith is an evidence of the permissibility of, or the, uh, uh, the permissibility of taking the means to protection, to protect yourself. You take the necessary means to protect yourself from illnesses or from diseases. So here you are taking the means to protect yourself. How? Because you know one of the wings has got an illness, but you know the other wing has got a cure. So you dip the whole thing in there, and that is a means of protecting yourself, because now you will be balancing out the illness with the cure. The third benefit that can be taken from this hadith is the permissibility of killing insects and animals that are harmful. Insects and animals that are harmful to the people, they cause some type of harm to the people, some type of nuisance to the people, then it is permissible to kill them, like flies. Here now, if the fly comes and sits in the person's drink, when you dip it in, is the fly going to stay alive or is it going to die? It's going to die. You're going to kill the fly by dipping in, especially if it was hot cup of tea or something. You're going to kill the fly when you dip it in. When the fly is dipped in, it's going to die. But that means it's permissible. It's permissible to kill the fly to do that. Because if it wasn't, then the ruling would have been something else. The ruling says, you dip the fly in. When you dip the fly in, you're going to kill it. So this, the shaykh says, indicates the permissibility of that. The permissibility of killing the fly. And of killing generally other types of insects or uh, rodents that are a nuisance to the people or they are harmful to the people. And it's mentioned a hadith about certain animals, scorpions, and um, certain other types of uh, dogs and uh, rats. That you're allowed to kill them. Then, the fourth benefit is that if a fly dies in your drink, does that make the drink impure or not? Obviously not, because we just said, once you dip it in, you take it out, then afterwards you can use the drink and do what you want with it. Drink it yourself, pass it on to somebody else to drink, use it to make wudu, it's allowed. Hadith of the Prophet but, what's the ruling from that then? The ruling is, as the scholars they say, كُلُّ مَا لَا نَفْسٌ لَهُ سَائِلَةٌ إِذَا مَاتَ فِي الْمَاءِ فَإِنَّهُ لَا يُنَجِّسُهُ Any type of insect, any type of insect that doesn't have flowing blood, any type of insect that doesn't have flowing blood in its body, if it dies, it is not impure. Flowing blood, what do we mean by flowing blood? We humans have flowing blood. You make a hole here, the blood will start pouring out everywhere. Other animals, cows, sheep, they have flowing blood. 
you make a hole in them, the blood will pour out everywhere. But some insects, they don't have flowing blood. A fly is one of them. If you were to get a fly and to cut it, will it start bleeding everywhere? Nothing will come out. The blood will not flow out. There's hardly anything in it, minute, minuscule. There's nothing in there. There are other types of insects the same. These some, some small types of insects, you cut them in half, you, you make a hole in them, no blood will start pouring out. So there are certain types of insects that do not have flowing blood in their bodies. Those types of insects that do not have flowing blood in their bodies, even some types of uh, spiders, even some types of spiders, uh, if you were to uh, cut them, then blood wouldn't flow out. A minute amount, you'd see a bit of redness or something, but the blood flowing out, that wouldn't happen. So certain types of insects don't have flowing blood in their bodies. Those types of insects that don't have this flowing blood in their bodies, like humans and sheep and goats do, if you cut them, it all flows out everywhere. These insects, it doesn't. Those insects that do not have flowing blood, they are not impure when they die. So for example, a mosquito, a mosquito or a fly or something, some little animal, some little insect, it comes and you hit it and you squash it, for example. Yes, there will be a little red blob there. There will be some small red amount of where the blood came out of its body, but flowing blood, there's no such thing. It's not going to be flowing everywhere, the blood. So that now isn't impure. That isn't impure. Flick it away and it's gone, that's it. There's no impurity there. Certain types of spiders, some of these small ones, if you were to accidentally uh, kill one or squash one, then, that, there, yes, there would be a little bit of red mark where the little bit of blood came out of its body. But it's not flowing blood. So again, that's not impure. Wipe it away, there's no impurity there. So insects that don't have flowing blood in their bodies, then those insects are not impure if you kill them or if they come upon you, etc. They are not impure. As for animals that do have flowing blood, then they are the ones which are impure. They are the ones that are impure if they die. Like a sheep, if it dies without being slaughtered, without being slaughtered, if it dies, is it pure or impure? It's impure. Uh, meaning you can't eat it. It's not allowed to eat. It's not being slaughtered in the Islamic manner and you cannot eat that thing. Then, the fifth benefit from this hadith, it indicates that this hadith is a sign from the miracles of the Prophet wasallam. That 1400 years ago they knew about the fly and the two illnesses and the, or the illness and the cure in its wings. Sheikh Fawzan mentions actually here that there are some scientists who have done some research in our time and they claim to have found that. They claim to have found that. They've done some research and they claim that they have identified different types of enzymes and all of these things that they find in the wings of the fly and they say they are different. Each wing of the fly is different. Some scientists, they claim they've done that research and they found that. The shaykh says whether they have or they haven't, it doesn't make a difference to us. We believe that anyway. Because that is the hadith of the Prophet If they have proven it, then good. Good, if they've proven it, then it's just something which backs this hadith up even more. It tells you the authenticity of it even more. But even if they don't prove it, it's irrelevant. We have the hadith, and that is something which is uh, sufficient for us, and we can accept it and believe it upon that. So that is the first hadith about the fly and what to do with that water if that fly falls into it. Or in fact, like we just said, any other little insect which doesn't have flowing blood, if a little spider dies in your water, you can take it out and the water is okay. A small spider doesn't have flowing blood, the water is okay to use. Any other little mosquito falls in and dies, get rid of it, you can use the water, it's not impure. So little insects that do not have flowing blood, 
they don't make it impure. The next hadith, the second hadith is the hadith of Abu Waqid al-Layfi, رضي الله عنه قال قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ما قطع من البهيمة وهي حية فهو ميت that Abu Waqid al-Layfi says and Abu Waqid al-Layfi he is one of the great companions of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and it is mentioned that he witnessed Badr however also it is mentioned that he was from amongst those people who became Muslim at the conquering of Makkah when the Muslims, they conquered Mecca in the 8th year of Hijri, uh, and then many people, they became Muslims. Then from amongst those people who became Muslims, they mentioned that Abu Waqid and Al-Layfi was one of them. Abu Waqid obviously is the kunya, his name was Al-Harith ibn Awf. Al-Harith ibn Awf was his name. Abu Waqid and Al-Layfi, the great companion. And he's the one who narrated the hadith about Dhatu and Wat. When they were going and they saw the mushrikeen having a tree, where they would hang their swords and their weapons on, because they would try to seek barakah from it. So some of the companions, they asked the Prophet ﷺ, can we have a tree where we hang our weapons to get barakah? So then the Prophet ﷺ told them that this is not allowed. There's no such thing as having trees and things where you hang your weapons to get barakah. Your tawakkul, your dependence, your reliance, your trust is in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That was the narration of Abu Waqid and Layfi. But in this narration now he says, that whatever is cut off, Bahimatul An'am Bahimatul An'am Or in fact here it says Ma quti'a min al-bahima Ma quti'a min al-bahima A bahima is something which has four legs Animals that have four legs Then they are bahima Bahima meaning like beasts or animals And there are two types of bahima Bahimatul An'am And they are the camels, the sheep and the goats Bahimatul An'am is the camels, the sheep and the goats. And then there is the rest of the Baha'im, the rest of the animals. So they are the two types, Bahimatul An'am and the rest of the Baha'im. Bahimatul An'am, camels, sheep and goats. And the rest of them are the rest of them. So now it says, whatever is cut off. So it says, whatever is cut off from these animals and they are alive, whilst they are alive, if some part of their body is cut off from them, then that part of their body, that meat or whatever is cut off from them, whilst they are alive, maybe a small section from somewhere, then that's haram, it's impure. If an animal is alive, and you cut some section off it, you cut some section off it, then that section that you cut off the animal, whilst it's alive, then it is impure. The reason why the Prophet ﷺ mentioned this hadith, وَهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ لَهُ سَبَبٌ وَهُوَ أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ لَمَّا قَدِمَ الْمَدِينَةَ وَجَدَهُمْ يَجُبُّونَ يَقْطَعُونَ أَصْنِمَةَ الْإِبْلِ وَأَلْيَاتِ الْغَنَمِ this hadith is that when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina, he found that the people, they used to chop off the humps of camels. They used to sometimes chop off the hump from the camels. And they used to sometimes chop off certain areas from the back of sheep. Like the, around the, uh, the back of the sheep, 
They used to cut off certain areas from there, from the anal region. They used to do this, cut off certain areas from there, cut off certain areas of the humps of the camels. And they used to take those off and they used to eat them even. They used to take these body parts whilst they were alive. The camel would still be alive. They would just cut a bit of the hump off. And the sheep would still be alive. They would just cut a small section from the back off and it would heal up. So these sections, they used to cut them off, the animals. So when the Prophet saw that, then he came and he told them about this hadith that whatever is cut off from these animals whilst they are alive whatever is cut off from these animals whilst they are alive then it is mayyit mayyit meaning it is dead, it is haram mayyit, we already said what a mayyit is a mayyit or a mayta is something which dies without the Islamic slaughtering something which has not been slaughtered in the Islamic manner if it dies then you cannot eat it. If you go into the woods and you find a dead rabbit, it's not allowed to cook it and eat it. It's haram. You have to slaughter it whilst it's alive. When you catch it alive and you slaughter it, then you can eat it. But if it dies before you slaughtered it, then you can't eat it. Then it's called a corpse. Corpse you can't eat. But if you have a live animal and you slaughter it, then you can eat it. So now the uh, uh, Prophet says, that these parts that they were cutting off the animals, it's as if they are dead animals. It's as if they are corpses. They haven't been slaughtered, the animals. They've taken this part off and they are not allowed to eat them. This is something which is impermissible, something which is impure. Muradu Rasulullah Sallam, an So the Prophet Sallam, he wanted to warn them against that and tell them off against that action. إِلَّا أَنَّ الْعُلَمَاءَ قَالُوا Except that the scholars have made one exception. Which animal is the exception where you can cut some piece of it even whilst it's alive and you can eat it, it's pure? Fish. The hadith that we did about fish. وَالطَّهُورُ مَاءُهُ وَالْحِلُّ مَيْتَدُهُ The fish, they are pure to eat. Even if they die without slaughtering them, if you go to do fishing and you catch some fish and they come out and as soon as they come out they die. Because out of the water they die before you get to slaughter. There's no need. You don't have to slaughter fish. Fish you can just catch them and you can eat them. So fish, it's permissible to take something from them and eat it even without slaughtering it. And that is not considered to be a corpse. So fish is an exception. Uh, then also, then, then there's some other exceptions. One or two other small things that they made as an exception. But the general rule, the general rule is that these types of pieces that you cut off the animals whilst they're alive, then they're not permissible to eat. They mentioned, for example, if somebody's hunting, if you're hunting, for example, with a bow and arrow or something like that, maybe, for example, you hit the animal. And when you hit the animal, maybe some part of its body comes off, maybe uh, one part of its leg or something, the arrow hits and it comes off or something, or maybe a part of its uh, front leg or a part of its head or a side of its body rips off with that arrow, but then the animal carries on and runs away. If you then catch the animal as it runs away, even though some part of its body, some meat has fallen off where the arrow hit it, maybe a chunk of meat came off with the arrow, but the animal ran away. If you catch the animal and slaughter it, then the animal is permissible. What about the chunk of meat that came off? Permissible as well then. If you catch the animal and slaughter it, then the whole animal, even the piece that fell off, and the animal that you caught, all of it is permissible. But if you were to hit it, and some piece of it fell off, some meat uh, ripped off with the arrow or something, and the animal ran away, you never caught it. And is that piece permissible now? Now it's haram. That's, that's some exception that they make as well. If you catch the animal and slaughter it, then the original piece is also halal. 
But if you don't catch it and it runs away, then the original piece of it off, that's also a corpse. It's something which is not permissible to eat. So these are some of the things that they mentioned. Uh, another exception that they made, a third exception from a piece of animal that is not a corpse, it's not impure. They mentioned about the gazelle. You know, the gazelle. It's like a deer. An animal that looks like a deer, a gazelle. The gazelle, you know this mist that you wear, this atar, this misk, this fragrance. There's a type which comes from gazelles. It comes from the gazelle. And the way it comes from it is that it forms upon its uh, body in a certain way. And in this area, the gazelle it rubs itself against the tree sometimes and this piece falls off. And that's where the misk is inside as well. That, they say, you can take that and you can use it, that's permissible. That is an exception the scholars have made as well. But outside of these things, Outside of these things, then anything which is taken off an animal while it's alive, then it's not pure. If you take a piece of the hump of an animal, of a camel, you can't use it. If you take a piece of the sheep off somewhere in its body, some meat, you can't use it. But these are some of the exceptions that they gave otherwise. What are the benefits that can be taken from this? The first of the benefits is that Islam is a religion of, uh, a religion of mercy. How do we know that Islam is a religion of mercy? from these ahadith about animals and not cutting pieces of them. Clearly because if you were to do that, is it not going to harm the animal? Cutting a piece of the hump of a camel, is it not going to harm it? Cutting a piece of the sheep, is it not going to harm it? There is clearly pain and harm for the animals to do that. So the fact that this has been prohibited in it is an example of the mercy of the religion of Islam even to the animals, that you don't harm the animals. Even more than that, slaughtering. In Islam, it has been mentioned that the proper manner to slaughter one of the uh, things which has been spoken about that we mentioned last time is that the item that you use, it must be sharp so that you cut through instantly. Not that you are there trying to cut and the animal is in pain with this knife trying to go through it and you're taking a long time, the animal will be in pain. That's why in the Sunnah it's mentioned you should make a sharp knife so you can cut straight through without any pain for the animal, cut straight through and there was a jugular and everything is cut and the animal, the blood comes out, it does not feel a thing. But if you have some blunt knife and you're cutting and you're cutting, that's going to cause pain for the animal. So it's mentioned in the hadith that you should uh, do it precisely with a sharp knife to do it quickly so it doesn't cause any pain. The hadith of the Prophet Prophet <laughs> That one of you, when you hidda ahadukum shafratahu, you should make your blade sharp, when you rih nabihatahu, so that the animal that you're slaughtering is comfortable. How will it be comfortable? Because with a sharp knife, you cut through straight away, it won't feel a thing. The jugular, everything will be cut and it will just die instantly. So that's what the religion has mentioned. Not that you harm the animals and cause them pain by using a blunt knife and cutting for a long time and causing pain. Uh, something else which can be taken is clearly the impermissibility of taking parts of animals that we've already mentioned. Also, there's an evidence. في الحديث دليل على أن ما قطع من الحيوان وهو حي أنه نجس. There's an evidence here in the hadith that if you take a piece of an animal off it, like the hump of a camel or some other part of the sheep, whilst the animal is still alive, then this piece that you take off is impure. It's impure. That's the evidence from this hadith. 
Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet called that piece a corpse, something which is dead, something which is not alive, something which has not been slaughtered properly. And that indicates that this is uh, something which is impure. So what is the link between that about cutting, cutting pieces of animals and the chapter that we're doing? The chapter that we're doing is about water. And pure water and impure water. What's cutting pieces of animals got to do with it? Because now imagine somebody cuts a piece of an animal off and wants to use that as like a, a, a water pouch. That piece is impure. If you put water into it, it's impure then. The water becomes impure with that pouch. It's a small amount of water, it becomes impure with that pouch. The pouch is impure. Or if you take some of this meat off the animal and it falls into some water, now water is impure. Obviously because of the impurity of this thing and if it's a small amount of water and it falls into it, the characteristics etc. becomes impure. That's the reason why Al-Hafid ibn Hajar mentioned this hadith in this chapter. So that is the chapter of water finished. Now we know the types of water that are allowed for you to use and that is the water which remains upon its original state. Water that remains upon its original state. What is water upon its original state? Like rainfall, like snow, ice, rivers, lakes. All of these are waters upon their original states. If the water changes from its original state, meaning if the color of it changes, or the smell of it changes, or the taste of it changes, then that water is not okay to use. Either it might be impure if the change occurred because of impurity, or it might just be tahir if the change occurred because of something pure, but it is not mutahir. It is not something you can use to purify yourself with. So this is the chapter about water and what type of water you can use. The next chapter we're going to do uh, from next time is the chapter of the utensils. What types of cups and plates are you allowed to use? Cups and plates, there are rulings in the religion, there are rulings in the Quran and the Sunnah about which types of cups and plates you can use. And some of the ahadith about cups and plates and what you should do and how you should cover them up at night because of a plague that comes and all of these different things. So we have to learn about the cups and plates also. This is something that every single person has in their homes.